Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. So I started last Sunday. This is going to be part two. Last Sunday, we talked about prayer. The sermon title was Teach Us to Pray. And I talked about the influence of the life of Jesus on the men who followed him. They saw every miracle. They saw for three and a half years, they watched him walk on water, turn water into wine, uh, raise the dead, speak to the storm and the waves calmed down. They saw this incredible thing, but the one thing they wanted to be trained in was prayer. They were they, they knew that all of his greatness was tied to his life of prayer, and that's what they wanted to learn about. Teach us to pray, they said. I'm going to start with the same text that I used last week, Luke 11. Verse 1 through 4. I'm going to add the other, the other verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I'm going to read it from Matthew's perspective. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, there are a few extra pieces uh, of the prayer that Matthew includes that Luke didn't. This then, when he answered the disciple, is how you should pray. Starting with verse 9, Matthew 6, starting with verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if, he extends it here in this this passage as well, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a sobering conclusion. And another passage, it ends with, thine, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Each, each gospel has a different nuance as it, uh, as it tells the story of his men, his disciples, asking him to teach us to pray. So I'm going to break this down for you. Um, the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer Deal with God's glory. The three petitions, the first three, are written in the original as 
an imperative. Everybody say imperative. What I mean by that is when it says, hallowed be your name, it is spoken with force. It's given as a command. Not in the sense that we're commanding God, but more like this just has to happen. Your name, let it be hallowed. It's said with force. Your kingdom, let it come. Your will, let it be done. The will of the Lord already is that his name be hallowed. And that his kingdom come and that his will be done. But in the praying, we are entering into agreement that the already established will of God would be done. We're not telling God what to do. We're saying, yes, God. We are crying out in the earth, yes, God, let your kingdom come in the earth. Yes, God, let your name be hallowed. Yes, God, as we pray, we say your name, let it be hallowed. We put our foot down. You should just practice that. When you're, when you're walking around the house, when you're walking around the sanctuary, when you're praying, thy kingdom come, you should just try it. See how it makes you feel when you make this declaration. Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. You're commanding the atmosphere around you. Put your fists down. Ow. Your will, let it be done. These are not meant to be weak requests they're meant to be powerful declarations everybody say declarations there was a young man in that visited us a few weeks ago and we were doing our declaration at the offering and he was commenting on it he called it uh he made uh, a note of when we did our chant he called what we did a chant uh maybe it is a chant <laughs> Uh, I don't know how to de exactly define that because I didn't study that this week. But we believe in declarations. I've told you before, Carson, every night, he goes through this list of prayers. He prays for a healthy brain. He prays for the mind of Christ. He, he prays for Western dreams. And then he said, my words have power, so I make my declaration." I like that. I like that. The first petition, let me get back on track, is hallowed be your name. Let it be hallowed. Let it be holy. The root meaning of the word holiness means to be hallowed, to be holy, which means to be separate. So he is completely utterly separate from us to hallow means to make holy to hallow God's name is not to make it holy because his name already is holy but to hallow here is to treat as holy or to honor as holy so what we're saying when we declare hallowed be your name we're saying let your name treated as holy let it be honored as holy let it be revealed to the world 
as holy. I'm to pray that the name of God is to be treated as holy in my own life as I'm praying. I'm not just praying for it in the world. I'm praying it for me, for in, in my circle, in my sphere, that his name be treated as holy. I'm praying for it in the communities, in the people that I'm praying for, in the house of the Lord, in the nation that we live in, in the nations of the world that we pray for. God, I want your name to be honored. I want it to be treated as the holy name that it really is. So when we begin praying, hallowed be thy name. Say that with me. Hallowed be thy name. We are praying that the holiness of his name be upheld and honored in our own lives. As we come before God, we are saying, God, I want your name to be honored in my life. Our first responsibility when we pray this is that we pray it over our own lives. I want your name to be treated as holy in my life. You might go on into other areas while you're praying. God, I'm facing temptation. Maybe it's something, a temptation for immorality or anger or bitterness or you're holding a grudge. But God, I want my life to reflect your holiness. So that our prayer particularly becomes, God, I want your name to be honored. Starting with me in the life of my family, in my circle of friends, in the lives of my brothers and sisters and my parents and grandparents at the holiday. Depend, I mean, the way you live your life and have conversations, if you begin your life, if you begin your daily life praying, hallowed be your name, as you approach conversations with people, it will determine how you allow yourself to communicate. Because you want his name. You're establishing right off the bat. God, let your name be treated holy. Every time we come to the Father with this declaration, hallowed be thy name. We're making a commitment to obey him in what we say and do. Because it starts with us. Let your name be holy in me. Then he says... Let your kingdom come. The word kingdom comes from two words, king's domain. Let the king's domain be established. Say, let your kingdom come. In my notes, it's all capped, so I want you to say it with force. I want you to think about how loud you're getting in the room. I want you to say it around your... Aura, wherever you are, make this declaration. This is about me. Say, let your kingdom come. Your kingdom, let it come. The kingdom of God comes wherever he rules and reigns. The Jewish people... We're looking forward to a future kingdom to be established when the Messiah arrived. And they missed Jesus 
because they thought his kingdom would be political or military. His kingdom had already come. It had already arrived. Although the ultimate kingdom will not come in its completion until the end of the age. So the kingdom is present now, even though it's not present in its completed form. You with me? You got that? You grasp what I'm saying? Jesus taught, I'm going to back that up, in Luke 17 and 21. You don't have to put these up there. I don't even think I sent them in. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is in the midst of us. Luke 17, 21. In Matthew 12, 28, he warned the Pharisees who were opposing him. He said, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's already making these declarations. He exhorted the disciples to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, 23. Then in another sense, he said, The fullness of the kingdom has not yet come. It's yet to come. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He said that to them in the upper room, not the upper room in the second chapter of Acts, but the upper room where he broke the bread and he he started to take the drink, the wine, as he's leading them in this Last Supper. And he said, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he's given us degrees of revelation about the kingdom. So when we pray, your kingdom come, it means two things. It means may more of the kingdom power and the rule of God that entered this world when Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem and Palestine and when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Ever since then, the kingdom of God has been expanding throughout the world. In the same way, Eden, the intent for Eden was to expand. His kingdom came when Jesus entered the earth and it's expanding. In the same concept, it is expanding throughout the earth throughout the world. We're supposed to pray, Lord, we want more of your kingdom power to come into this world. But we're also praying, we want the fullness of your kingdom to come. We want that final day to come when your total rule begins. We cannot ask for more of his rule to come without asking that it come through us. I think I should say that again. I want you to grasp that. I underlined it in my notes. We cannot ask for more of his rule to come without asking that it come through us. How else is the kingdom going to come unless it comes through his family on earth? It's useless I posted this on Instagram last night. It's useless to pray for his kingdom to come if you're not prepared to be a part of the answer to your own prayer. Because the kingdom comes starting with me. Starting with you. When I pray, let your kingdom come, it's got to start with me. If that is my authentic prayer, otherwise it's hypocrisy. So I pray, God, let your kingdom priorities come. Your kingdom 
priorities need to come in my life, whatever they may be, whatever you're asking me to do, I understand the mandate that I have today, today to live for you. What is it that you're calling me to do as a church member or a pastor or a father or a mother, a student or an employer or even an employee? What are you asking me to do? What is your kingdom mandate for me today? You have to consider it in that capacity. What is your mandate for me today? Because the kingdom just just doesn't come when some miracle-working preacher comes into town. Doing signs and wonders are a big evangelist like Billy Graham comes into town. And the kingdom does work that way. That is part of it. But the kingdom comes fundamentally in your life and how God wants to use you to further his kingdom today. Every one of us has a kingdom call. Every one of us has a kingdom call. It doesn't matter if you're out preaching the gospel or pumping gas. Raising kids at home or if you're a student at college. If you're building skyscrapers or houses. It doesn't matter. If you're a plumber. doesn't make any difference. The kingdom is still equally present for each one of us. And when you pray, your kingdom come, you're praying, first of all, that your life would be submitted to whatever kingdom priority for you is today. Then you go off and you pray in other things for the people in your life. Let your kingdom come. And Tanner and Emily and Beth and Clay and Reggie and Emily and Mike and Adrian. You just, you know, you've you got certain people you pray for. Every night when we pray with Carson, we have to list through everybody in the family, immediate family, and then the closest uncles and aunts, and then all of the Dwell Church family. We pray for people besides us, and we pray for the kingdom of God to come. You're praying, first of all, that your life would be submitted to whatever his kingdom priority is. Then you pray for businesses to prosper. God, there are business people in this house. And we declare your favor upon them. We declare your kingdom mandate over their business, whatever it is. Lord, your kingdom come. Shall I try the fist again? Put your fist down. Lord, your kingdom come. You say it with force. It's meant to be declared with force. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. And thirdly, you're going to say it before me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven you on on my earth wherever i am
I feel in charge when I do that. But that's the point. You are in charge. You are in charge. You, you decide what the atmosphere around you is going to be. You're either going to allow fear. You're going to allow uh, the news to cause you to be gripped with fear. Or you're going to just pray for the kingdom of God in spite of how dark the world looks. God, I declare, I put my foot down. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be treated as holy. Uh, thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Obviously, when we're praying, your name be honored as holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. These are three different ways of praying the same thing. But there are nuances in each one. Just a little trigger, just a little difference in each one. The key to this third one, your will be done, it's applicable in the realm of prayer, because First John, the fifth chapter, verses 14 and 15, says that only prayers that are prayed in line with the will of God will be answered. Did you know that? I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it exactly what it says. And this is then the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So as we're praying, first of all, with the holiness of God in mind, I want your name to be revealed as holy in my life. Secondly, we've got those kingdom priorities that God has set before us. We're praying and we really want to be careful that we're praying for your will to be done. We want to say that. We want to pursue the will of God. We can wander off into things when we're praying that we'd really love to happen. But is that really your will? You ever do that? You just kind of start just rambling, trying to. Find words to fill up an hour of prayer. But God, is that really your will? I think what, what I want to stress to you, how important it is foundationally with this prayer. He wants us to see that we establish our pursuit with the holiness of his name, with the pursuit of his domain and his will. But sometimes we're like, God, I don't know. I'm this way. God, I don't know what you want me to do about this. I don't know what your will is in this matter. But I'm just going to lift it up before you. It's in the process of doing that. God, I want your will. And to be honest with you, I really want this to happen. But I don't know if that's your will. But I want to pray for your will anyway. I seek to understand, And it's in, the, in that kind of process of having those kinds of conversations with God that he begins to speak and say, this is what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. Sometimes he'll say, you shouldn't be doing that, what you thought you should be doing. This is really my will for you. You have to have that kind of conversation. 
Because we're not guaranteed that every prayer is going to be answered. Gasp. But we are guaranteed that prayer prayed perfectly in line with the will of God will be answered. It's a lifetime of coming into alignment with the will of God and trying to discern. Sometimes we just say, God, I don't know. Even as the pastor of this house, I have days where a decision has to be made and I am just as human and as flawed as the rest of you. And I'm like, God, I don't know. But you know that I want your will. And I'll surrender everything, every one of my ideas so that the idea of God can be released in my life. Sometimes we look back when we've struggled with not knowing and then we look back over it and we say, God, you did do your will. I didn't see it at the time, but when I look back at what we've walked through and see it from this perspective, you did do your will in spite of me. But it's always a process. Jacob wrestled with God all night. Sometimes it's a process of wrestling with God. You ever been there? You ever felt like we know in our heart we want to please him and we're trying to get to the bottom line with God and it's a wrestling match sometimes. So you just continually bring those things to the Lord like the persistent widow in Luke 18. It's the process of being the persistent pursuer even if you don't understand his will in the first place. But in the end, thy will be done. This is not my idea, God. And even though it seems like a good idea, if it doesn't come to pass, then I know you have a better plan for me than what my idea is. To cry for God's will to be done expresses our desire to see the will of God established now in the world. The same way that God's will is established in heaven. I'm going to say that again. The cry, when we pray for the will of God to be done, it expresses our desire or it positions us to be in this place of desire to see the will of God established in the world the same way that his will is established in heaven. What does that even look like? Bill Johnson breaks it down. He said, well, you know, there's no sickness and disease in heaven. And he's had such a, a revival of the miraculous because he's determined that in the earth, Cancer is illegal in the kingdom, and we've established, we've declared that this house is your kingdom, that my house is your kingdom, and so sickness can't camp out at my house if we really grasp the reality of God's kingdom. We want to bring something of heaven to the earth. It's a dangerous prayer. 
How can I ask God for his will to be established and for his will to come down from heaven if I'm not willing to be a part of the means by which he establishes? I have to step up and say and pray for his will and then step into position and say, start with me. I'll be first in line to be the conduit for your will in the earth. Because his kingdom only comes by walking the way of the cross. And that's going to mean sacrifice. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dangerous prayers to pray. Let your name be treated as holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Dangerous prayers, but it's far more dangerous not to pray. You should think about that for a second while I take another sip. A few weeks ago, no, it's been, maybe we should say a couple months now, while we were still in the hotel ballroom, we were having a Wednesday night prayer, and um, I think it was over there. And Larry Bizet was leading us one night and leading us from a portion of the Lord's Prayer, praying for the kingdom of God to come. And so while he was praying, the Lord just kind of birthed a little song. And so, actually, Gracie helped me write this song. Uh, I'm just going to sing it. I'm going to pretend we're at the Church of Christ where they have no instruments, okay? I want you to grasp the lyric. Hallowed presence, evidence of heaven, manifest as we gather to worship your name. Kingdom come to us. Will be done through us. Dwell with us. Come establish your kingdom today. And the chorus goes like, just as it is in heaven. Just as it is in heaven. Let it be done here in the earth. Just as it is in heaven. You missed your chance to sing along. Just as it is in heaven. Let it be done here in the earth, Lord, we pray. Because sometimes, it doesn't matter how great a speaker is, what we remember the most are the songs. Those are the, that's what we take with us home and we find ourselves humming along as this week we I think I sang this at one of the prayer nights and uh, I was just home and Nicole's cleaning in the kitchen and I hear her just as it is the song lives on and uh, even you may not even be intellectually connected to the truth but you're declaring the truth anyway Okay, now let's look at the last three petitions 
I'm going to try to walk through these as quickly as possible. pushed a button on my phone on my on my iPad and if I didn't stop and get out of it I may delete something so I had to uh, turn it off and come back to it so now here I am I'm back to my place uh, we're going to look at the last three petitions uh, these are focused more on requests for ourselves the first three We're focused on the glory of God, the kingdom, the name, the holiness of God. Uh, Obviously, how to make them applicable in our life. But they get us into the mentality of our lives need to be lived with everything being focused on God being glorified. And when we pray and put our petitions through the filter of let your kingdom come, let your name be hallowed, let your will be done. We then come into a safer place to start asking things for ourselves. Does that make sense? When we establish, when we put our foot down and establish the kind of influence, kingdom, heaven, influence in our home, it, it, it brings us into a safer place that we don't pray with narcissistic. I like it when you say something and all of a sudden Iman goes, mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> See, certain people, I, I, I'm glad when they're there because they make listening tones. They make other people just look at you and you're not sure if, if this is landing in a good place or not. But then you have good old faithful over there going, mm-hmm, mm. O-L-E, not O-L-D. O-L-E is more of a poetic, affectionate, good old, not good old. That would be me. <laughs> the first of the, of, the, of the three in the second half of this prayer is give us this day our daily bread. This particular petition tells us two things about praying for material needs. First, bread in the Bible can just stand for food in general. What it represents is our basic needs. It's what we need to live. It's not our extra wants, our luxuries. That's what bread represents in this text. Of course, God can give us more in the same way that Jesus spoke of um, someone being given more talents. And that's, he was talking about money. Some are given more than others. But those who are given more are expected to generate a return for the kingdom. And not just wealth for themselves. But what we as Christians are commanded to pray for is, what is our bread? What do I need to do the will of God in my life? I'm praying for his will. What do I need to do his will? That's what I'm asking for. No more, no less. 
I do need enough provision to do the will of God. I can't do it without provision. But why would I need more to do the will of God? More could possibly take me out of the will of God. Iman said, ooh, that's good. That's why there are warnings in the Bible about the love of money. We're to pray in this passage for what we need to do the will of God today. Give us this day. Remembering that we will be held accountable for what we receive in answer to our prayers. Make no mistake. God is a provider. That's his name. Jehovah Jireh. The second thing Jesus tells us to ask for is today's bread. Give us bread, but give us today's bread. He tells us to ask for bread and then to ask for today's supply. In Jesus' day, most people were only paid by the day. If you got sick and weren't able to work, it could ruin your personal economy. People were paid by the day. We don't deal with that so much in our nation, although COVID could get somebody laid off and 30 days could... just completely wreck us. But Jesus is teaching that we ask for what we need today. He's teaching people that might die tomorrow if they don't have bread for tomorrow because they don't have bread in the freezer that can heat up. But he's teaching that we should only ask, this is interesting perspective, that we should ask for what we need today. So when it comes to the world of finance, what most of us do, we worry about tomorrow's bread. We worry about bread for next month or next year. Even we worry about bread for our retirement. Then we worry, we, we do that more than we worry about bread for today. I'm not suggesting that we be unwise. There is something, though, in the economy of God that he wants us to remain in a place of dependence on him. It's, it's all about our priorities. It's all about what we get laser focused on. Not to store up. Not to store up wealth for ourselves. Ugh. God wants us to stay in a place of dependence on him, not stockpiling stuff up for ourselves. Focus on what we need today to do the will of God. We're to live in the now, in the today. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. Let tomorrow look after itself. What do you do with the words of Jesus? I'll tell you, you pay attention. You may not fully understand uh, the depth of what he's saying. There are always layers of, of revelation that come, but pay attention to what he's saying. If you try to live in tomorrow and God hasn't provided for tomorrow, you're trying to control your future instead of giving the future to the only one that can control it. So learn 
to live in dependence on God for your needs for today. I'm not saying cancel your retirement plan. Don't use wise budgeting for the years ahead. I'm saying your focus needs to be on what you can do for him today. It's about the will of God and your responsibility to step into his will for you and those that are around you. Don't try to manipulate and control and worry about what's going to happen in the next six months or the next two years. Four and a half years ago, Nicole and I left a good job. Uh, a great salary with insurance. In today's world, <laughs> we left into the unknown to pursue what we felt God leading us into. Left insurance and a constant paycheck. Y'all like, I like to get a paycheck. Not knowing where we'd end up. No income, no guaranteed income behind us. But we just trusted that God would provide. There would be no dwell church today had we not stepped out. Who starts church in your 50s anyway? <laughs> Apparently me. <laughs> But our trust was in Jehovah Jireh to supply the need for the day. Even as we moved into this building, we needed chairs and boom, provision was there to buy the chairs. I mean, we didn't have to sweat it. It was, it was there. We needed to, we, we got an estimate on what it was going to cost to paint this whole building because we wanted it to be fresh and clean. And, uh, oh, you're bringing me another one. Thank you. Here, I'll trade you. And I remember we're having a staff meeting one day at our house because we didn't have a building to have staff meetings in. And we're at our dining room table with our staff and the doorbell rings and we just got our estimate on what it's going to cost to paint this building. And I get, I went to the, the door when the doorbell rang and, the man was already gone. There was an envelope there from FedEx and I opened it up and it was a check for $25,000 from a pastor in Chicago who wanted to contribute to what we were doing and in getting into our building. The need, give us our daily bread. Did you have to paint it? <laughs> yes, we did. We still want the LED screen, um, and we're going to get it. We're just not rushing. We're not going to go in debt to get it. We're going to keep raising funds and depending on uh, generous people to help us, but uh, it's, you know, that's working just fine, right? I'm not embarrassed. Are y'all embarrassed by that? Y'all don't think we look cheap? I don't look cheap. I got this jacket from Banana Republic. 
When I look back, I'm absolutely amazed at the provision of God. But then I wonder, why should I be amazed? I've lived for decades not knowing. I remember when 25, 24 years ago when Nicole and I left another church with a good salary and insurance. And we had, Cole was a month old and I resigned and we didn't know what we were going to do. And, and I told the Lord, uh, God, I'm not going to do this. If this, if, if, and we knew he was leading us and, uh, and I'm like, God, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to pay the bills. And it's not easy to take a woman away from security and not know. I would tell you, with that first year, the Lord was trying us because we, we, we were like, okay, God, we're just, I guess we're going to go and do some itinerant work, but I'm not calling anybody. If this is what you're calling to me, you're going to have to make this work. And so I, I had my hills dug in. And you know what? For that whole year and maybe year and a half, we never had a full calendar. But every week someone would call and say, can you be with us in two days? If they had a thought ahead, they could have paid two, $300 for an airline ticket. But instead it cost them $1,000 a piece to get us there for coach. But it didn't matter. People were calling. We need you. Uh, something happened. Can you be here? And I'll say, well, just a second. Let me check. <laughs> well, you know, I might have to change some things. But uh, and what that meant is we have to get somebody else to drive uh, some the kids to school or whatever. But just, just God would come through at the last minute and give us incredible provision. Uh, that's been my, so why should I be amazed when he continues to provide our daily need? It's extraordinary. It's faith building. Our bills are paid. But we honor God. With our finances. We trust him with our finances. Give us this day our daily bread. You get what I'm trying to say. We plan for our future. I hope you do too. We have life insurance policies. <laughs> I told Gracie. How much. My life insurance policy was. Um, and she kind of got. Oh, kind of like, maybe you'll die soon. <laughs> she didn't say that, but there was just this look in her face. We, but we have life insurance policies. We think about retirement. But our central focus as we walk daily with the Lord is to ask for our daily bread. Trusting that he'll be right there when we get to our future. God warned the Israelites when they were leaving the wilderness and going into the promised land. He warned them about growing wealthy, that they would forget the days when they depended on the daily manna. And it, would, it could lead them into 
disobedience and sin. It's not that God doesn't want to give you something. You just have to be careful to not come to a place of dependency on what you can do for yourself. But keep your dependence on him. That is what he's saying with this. Give us this day our daily bread. Which is what we need to do the will of God with today's bread. Let Jesus worry about tomorrow. Uh, it's almost two. Okay. And this is a real important one. The second petition in this second half focuses on us. The second petition that focuses on us is forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The word debts here is equivalent to sins. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins as it relates to our salvation. Because that would make salvation something that we have to earn. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It, It would mean we'd have to get saved every day. Over and over again. But he's talking about something that characterizes a daily Christian life. It's daily forgiveness for our shortcomings. Romans 3.25 says, All have sinned in the past tense and and fall short of the glory of God, which is the present tense. Every day, I'm falling short. Ask someone who knows me. Or ask Nicole. Every day, I fall short. I forget to do something. Or I use the wrong credit card. <laughs> See, you, you heard the <laughs> from Gracie. She's heard the conversations between me and Nicole when I used the wrong card. Or when I forget to get receipts. Shortcomings, when I fail to place a priority on what I should have been responsible for. You wouldn't forget if someone told you to meet on the corner of El Dorado and Custer because they want to bring you a check for a million dollars. You're not going to forget that. But what about someone who says, I need you to help me pick up the leaves in the backyard. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll come over and help, but something came up and I forgot. That wasn't a priority to me. That's, that's a shortcoming because if you commit and you fail to come through, that's not a sin that's going to cause you to go to hell. kind of does affect your character if you don't live up to your word. We sin and fall short every day. We need to seek God's forgiveness and mercy every new day that we live. If I forget the great gap between the holiness of God and the reality of where I happen to be, at any given moment, I could easily fall into the pride that comes before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. So when I come to God, I do so on the basis of him saving me from my sin 
And God's requirement is that I reflect, hear me now, God's requirement is that I reflect his mercy in my life towards others. What do you you mean by that? Forgive me as I also forgive others. It's my duty. It's my responsibility as a Christian to allow the forgiveness of Jesus to flow through me. That's what Jesus was talking about in the parable of the two servants. One was owed, he owed a large amount of money and he went to the leader who forgave him of his debt. Then he leaves and immediately goes to a man that owed him very little and he had him thrown in prison and as a result, he lost his forgiveness. The owner became very angry. So no matter what someone has done to me, it's not of the same magnitude of what I did to Jesus. He was totally sinless and we are all sinners. We all have blame. You know, this is the part where I could say, turn to your neighbor and say, you have blame. Why don't you do that real quick? (laughs) Husbands and wives. (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't say that. We all have blame. There is always usually a percentage on either side of an offense between two people. But there's always more on one than the other, right? But because I've been forgiven this enormous debt, I need and I choose to walk in daily forgiveness toward others who have offended me. If I have not forgiven others, and we can't say, well, you know, someone did this to me 10 years ago and I forgave them. And so I got it all straight. And think that you don't have to forgive about offenses for today, you, you think again. You can't rest upon the fact that you successfully walked through forgiveness in the past. That I'm not going to bother with this today. This is minuscule. This really doesn't matter. We'll just, you know, let it go and we'll... There's this idea that if you just don't talk about it, we'll get over it. But the mandate is always there. If we haven't forgiven others, then we haven't understood the magnitude of God's forgiveness towards us. Or the magnitude of our own sin. Refusal to forgive other people. Matthew 18 says... what happens to those that refuse to forgive, you'll be handed over to the jailers and the tormentors. Matthew 18, 34. If we have have unforgiveness, if you refuse to forgive, you take the place of God sitting in judgment. You need to hand people over to God. There are people in this room that you need to hand over to God instead of carrying the offense. He just said it. This is a small group of people for you to say that. You're here. Maybe, maybe 
Maybe you have an offense with someone who's not here and you know, I need to go make this right. Get rid of your unforgiveness. That means taking the reality of what they did to you and giving it to God and let him deal with them. But that means you have to trust. Unbelievers live in unforgiveness all the time. They hold grudges. Just ask anybody at the water fountain at work or at school or at church. It's a tragedy when it happens at church, but it does. It's a tragedy when believers are caught in grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness. We have been freed from our sins at a high price. We've been forgiven. And then we don't forgive others. Every day. We need to do this. Jesus says we need to pray. God forgive us because I'm still sinning. I I don't want to, but Paul said, I, I, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I haven't reached sinless perfection yet. Almost. So I need to ask God, please forgive me. It's not, We're not taking advantage. We're not saying, God, you forgave me once and for all, so I'm not going to bother with this. That would be taking advantage of of his mercy. But put the spotlight on your heart, on your memories. Allow him to show you and say, God, please forgive me for that. At the same time, I'm asking God to forgive me. Let this be a strong reminder that I need to forgive others. So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One translation says, deliver us from the evil one. Our first task with this last petition is to determine the meaning of the word temptation. Lead us not into temptation. The Greek word gives two definitions. One is testing in the sense that where you're refined and purified by the testing. Or it can mean tempting as being enticed into evil. The word testing is something that God loves to do. First Peter one and seven, he tests our faith. And through the pain and the fire, we come out as gold. First Peter one and seven says that's something that God does with us. He tests us and, and we're refined in the fire of testing. Jesus could be hardly suggesting that we be spared from it. That's not the temptation. That is not the testing, that, the definition that we're looking at. Jesus wouldn't say, lead us not into testing because testing is where our faith is built and refined. So the meaning here has to be the other definition. The question becomes, 
then. God is not the author of temptation, according to James 1, verse 13. So how could we think God would lead us into temptation if we somehow didn't pray, lead us not? The answer is we have to figure out what he's saying. What, what does that mean? What does lead us not mean? We need to see the two halves of this one petition. Just like we said at the beginning of the prayer, there were, he was saying three things the same way there was a little nuance in, 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 each, in each phrase, in each petition. We need to see the two halves. Lead us not into temptation has the same meaning as deliver us from evil. Or lead us away from evil. To lead us not into temptation means, it means this. God, keep me away from temptation. He's not suggesting that God might lead you into it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, keep me away from temptation. This is like a Hebrew way of saying two things that mean the same thing. It was, it was a Hebraic way of communicating. Jesus says, keep me away from temptation, God. He's not saying, keep me away from this thing. But he's saying, keep me away from the evil one. The one that does tempt. Don't let me fall into the hands of the enemy. He'll cause harm. He'll lead us down a bad path. But we have to understand and balance these two sentences and understand what he's saying. When we have prayed for forgiveness earlier in the Lord's Prayer, we acknowledge that we sin every day. When you position yourself and you make this part of your prayer and you get past thinking you're righteous, and we know that we are righteous, we have boldness to come to him because we understand it's because of his blood, but he teaches us to pray this prayer to fully be aware of what we have been forgiven of. When we've prayed for forgiveness, we're praying against the weakness of our flesh. At the same time, we're praying against the supernatural attack of the enemy who takes advantage of our weaknesses. Both of these things are tied together. Lead me away from, don't lead, please don't let me be, fall into the hands of the enemy. They're tied together. If we're only praying for the weakness of our flesh and ignoring the supernatural attack, uh, we miss it. If we pray only against the supernatural attack from Satan, we may overlook the responsibility that we have to um, put to death the desires of our flesh. We have, to, we have to do that. Paul taught us to, to die daily. So if we only pay attention to the one and not the other, we'll get out of balance. That's why he gives us both sides of this coin. So Jesus was very conscious of the spiritual warfare dimension of life. It's not, spiritual warfare is not about going up to a mountain somewhere, and I, and I know people that have, and I think that's a legitimate thing, praying over cities and ca calling down strongholds over a city. But that's not what he's talking about. Spiritual warfare takes place somewhere in the nitty-gritty of our lives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus understood all about this. He had experienced the temptation uh, in, in, in the wilderness. 
And he, he you know, he completed, he, he completely resisted the temptation. But he knew that in our weakness, we would really need God's strength. Satan's temptations are very subtle. C.S. Lewis said, he tries to keep his ways secret. When people don't even believe in the devil, he is very pleased because he can do whatever he wants because people don't even realize that he's there doing his work. I just scored with Cole, who is a lover of C.S. Lewis. So temptation is subtle. It starts with thoughts or actions that may seem harmless, but then it multiplies into a web of deceit, bitterness, gossip. Lead us not into temptation. We go into prayer with this. We first pray, let your name be holy. When we become so aware of the holiness of God as we approach him and we treat his name as holy. And we, with force, declare the kingdom of God come. And then when we approach this uh, petition, this request to give us our daily bread, we've already, we, we, I said it earlier, we're putting it through the filter of praying for the will of God. So, so, Lord, according to your will, I pray that you'll give me what I need today to accomplish your will. And I ask you to forgive me, and I choose to forgive those that I come in contact. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today. I might come to church on a Sunday morning and get accosted by someone at the church at the front afterwards saying, you missed it. That wasn't, you know, we had that happen. And, and it would be easy for me to take the offense of someone coming and challenging me. And it's like, we can all be challenged, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the details of the challenge. I'm talking about what I do with the punch. Do I turn the cheek? How do I deal with it? I choose this day. God, I choose this day that I will walk in forgiveness no matter what I face, no matter who cuts me off in traffic, no matter, no matter if, if, if my uh, anybody, anybody that I could come to that could come and, and charge against me and, and, and bring offense and hurt my feelings. God, I choose before it ever happens, I choose, I choose to walk in your will. I choose to walk in forgiveness. I choose to treat you as holy. I choose to pursue your provision as it relates to your will in my life. And I decide that I will walk in forgiveness no matter what I face. And let that be a reflection to them of, uh, and to, to show you that I understand the forgiveness that you have for me. The kingdom is all about relationship. It's all about relationship with him. But we're kidding our, ourselves if we say we love man whom we, whom we, we don't love a man whom we have seen, but we love God whom we haven't seen. We have to walk out in our relationship with our brothers and cousins and uncles and aunts and friends. And, and we're, you know, it's like, 
I'm, I'm not trying to set myself up and say just, okay, I'm going to mess up. So if I offend you, just be ready for it and just be, forgive me. No, no, no. I'm going to do my best to walk in the will of God. It's this daily pursuit. That's why we pray in every day. That's why I, uh, I found myself feeling a little guilty uh, through this fast. I've, I've discovered that, you know, every year when we do fast, I do a Daniel fast. And I tried Daniel fast this year. And, you know, many of you know, uh, I had to stop eating banana pudding. Uh, started having these issues with uh, diabetes, and uh, uh, I'm walking through it. But if I don't eat meat, my sugar goes up. Uh, so I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I, you know, I've, I've got, we're leading everybody in a fast. So, okay, we're going to pray every day, every night. I'm going to put, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to come and we're going to pray Monday through Friday for two weeks. And it's wonderful. Uh, I, I, nobody's judged if you can't come, but just let me encourage you. It is such a wonderful thing to walk daily and, and see how God comes to us. Every time we gather in a beautiful way and speaks and visions, people seeing things. And it's just wonderful, this momentum happening. And then at the, uh, at the end of the year, Nicole was saying she's going to uh, go through this Bible reading plan that you read the entire Bible in 30 days. And I thought, it's hard enough to read the Bible through in a year. And you want to do it in 30 days? And uh, I'm like, well, if she's doing it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let her win. Uh, and, and so we dove in. It takes about two hours a day. I didn't know I had two hours a day. But I've fallen in love with the word all over again. And we're on day, I think, 22 or 23. What is today? 23rd. So we're on day. I've read half of today's uh, uh, verses today while they were doing sound check. Well, a little bit at home and in the car, and then I, I put it on uh, on a, the U version app and let it play while I was driving. And then I got here and I've been reading up till they all came in and we prayed before we came out. So I've got another twenty chapters to read today. But uh, so I'm 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 compensating for my inability to lay off meat. Because uh, I got to keep my sugar balanced, but I have been diving into the Word of God and seeing, in context, the whole thing, the whole. Uh, and, and again, you walk through it every year. Every time I read the Bible through, I see something new. It's 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 always. It's not just reading it over and over and over and over again. It's like another layer is uh, just unpacked, and you reveal you're, it, it, something else is revealed, and you're like, "This is incredible." So. Uh, so let me tell you, that doesn't give you permission to not stay on your fast until next Sunday. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just saying, that their shortcomings can look different. <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm, just, I'm confessing my sin, and I'm asking you to forgive me for, for not staying on the fast. But I want to live healthy. Mm. That's God's fast for me. That's it. I'm fasting time. I'm giving more hours. I'm giving more hours to him every day. And I just am being so uh, moved and so 
I, I just, it's like more revelation just opens up. It's like after going through the book of Revelation last year, and now I'm reading the Bible through, and I'm seeing all of the, the Old Testament references that are in the book of Revelation. I'm like, ah, oh, this is an amazing. God, you're just, you're amazing how all of this was your plan and how it's all this, this thread of truth that connects it all together. I would encourage you, if you can make yourself do it, uh, you, you're like, I could never do it. I could never do it. I talked to someone yesterday. Oh, I just don't have the patience. I can't. I'm like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. But it is just, you're doing it with us too, aren't you? And, uh, but Gracie's not. Let's shame her. <laughs> teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. So he said, when you pray, say, our father, our father. Hallowed be your name. Treat his name as holy. Say, thy kingdom come. The king's domain, let it be established. I said at one of our prayer meetings one morning, uh, the, I, I brought up the, the, that whole idea that the kingdom is the king's domain. It, when Jesus uh, called his disciples and they were later given this title as uh, they were given, uh, they were called apostles. Apostle is a Roman word. Uh, it came from the Roman culture. So in the culture of the day, Jesus uses the term. And, and so apostles, Roman apostles would be uh, people that worked for the king, men that worked for the king, representing the king. And they would go into territory that they are taking and they would establish the culture of the king in a particular, in a given village. They would want to set the atmosphere and train people how to act and, and what to do so that if the king chose to visit that village, it would feel like home. So we are assigned, we are assigned as people of his presence to establish in our homes, in our church, an atmosphere so that if he chooses to come close, when he gets close to the door, he will recognize things of heaven on earth already, and he will come in and sit down with us because we are apostles of the presence of God. We are to demonstrate and establish the culture of the king on earth so that when he comes, so we pray for it, Jesus. We pray for your kingdom. We pray for your will on earth as it is in heaven. We release uh, the healing power of God in the earth so that when you come, there are no sick people because that's not your will. God, we pray, give us our daily bread. Provide for us as a church what we need to do your will in the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us 
not. Do not let us be led into the pathway of the tempter. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we rise up and we put on the armor of God. According to what Paul taught us, we, we, our feet are shod with the preparation of peace. Uh, we have, have on the helmet of salvation and we have the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And we prepare ourselves to do warfare and we break down demonic influence but in order to effectively do that God we ask you to forgive us and not allow any sin anything that we know or anything we've done that we don't know we ask you to forgive us of our debts and we will in that same example forgive whoever we come in contact with for thine is the kingdom thine is the power and thine is the glory So let's all stand. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.